Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do not be careless with the Word of God. And what I mean by that is very simple. Oftentimes, when we come to a difficult passage, what happens is this. We look simply to what other people have said about this passage and simply repeat what we have read, what other people believe, rather than doing the due diligence and wrestling with this passage. Secondly, we oftentimes find passages that are difficult in the original language, but when we look at them in a translation into another, all these difficulties have been removed. They have not translated them, but rather, they have interpreted them in a way that, when we read it, it makes sense. And sometimes, what seems to make sense is not the intent of God. It's when we wait upon the Lord, when we study thoroughly, when we pray and think and think and pray and spend time with that passage that God reveals to us truly what is the intent, what is the message that he has for his people. And this is certainly the case with Isaiah chapter 41. So take out your Bible and look there with me, the book of Isaiah and chapter 41. This is not an easy chapter. There is going to be one that the scripture does not give us his name, but rather there are indicators that lead us to a conclusion. And what I would say to you is this, those indicators would cause one to believe that the subject that God is speaking about is indeed the Messiah. It is so significant that when we look at Isaiah, that frequently Isaiah has an end-time mindset. Isaiah is thinking about what his name speaks to, salvation. And for Isaiah, salvation is just not how one enters into a covenant with God, how one will enter into the kingdom of God, but for Isaiah, there's an emphasis on the establishment of that kingdom and also the one who's going to the work, do the work so that this kingdom can be established. So in this first study of chapter 41, we're going to look at the first 13 verses and then next week, God willing, will complete this chapter. So let's take it very slowly, we'll look very carefully, we'll deal with some of the difficulties of this passage, and hopefully 
allow the Holy Spirit to give us insight so that we understand it in the way that God intended. Let's begin. Look, if you would, to Isaiah 41 and verse 1. Now, this first verse is rather straightforward. We hear here a, a statement concerning be silent. It is a command. So be silent unto me, and notice who the subject is. We have the Hebrew word, iim, which are islands. Now, usually, when this word appears prophetically, the term islands, we're talking about faraway places, remote places, but nevertheless, God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's administration will indeed touch these places. See, we see in the scripture that many times when islands are mentioned, it speaks about how a ruler, a king, a leader of an empire, if he's able to collect taxes from these faraway, remote places, if he's able to rule over them, it speaks of his greatness. And now the context is God is moving. He's addressing the world. And he says, be silent unto me, O islands. And then he has the term lumim, which can be translated nations or peoples. But usually it speaks about a group of people. So nations speak to places that would be familiar places that are under his administration. And islands are those remote places that normally a king, a ruler, doesn't really administrate. But this one, because the subject is God himself, he is sovereign, his rule will encompass all of his creation. No one will escape. So be silent unto me, O islands and nations. And then we have a unique expression. Lachlif is to exchange, to, to make a difference. And the next word we have is the word koach, which is power. So make a change, O people, O nations. And that change involves the source of their power. So God is saying something that they need to be ready for what he's going to bring about. And what is that? Well, if you keep reading, he says here, they approach, then they will say together, meaning God is getting their attention. He wants them to respond, both these faraway remote places and the nations, and they need to make a change. They need to be ready for what's going to happen. They, they come forth, and then they will speak together, and notice what the context is. Lameshpat, for judgment. Again, we see how important judgment is in this prophecy of Isaiah. And the context, as we read on, 
This is a judgment that is going to bring a change to all of God's creation. And what is that change? I think we're going to see clear evidence that it has to do with the establishment of the kingdom of God. So this is this judgment day that all people will have to draw near to. And that's what it says at the end. Let us draw near. Let us approach. So the people there are responding. They are drawing near for judgment. Verse 2. Now there's someone that we have to answer who this is. We read in verse 2, who goes up from the east? Now, it's interesting, if you were to ask the predominant rabbinical commentators who this is, they would say, Avram Avinu, Abraham. If you ask the, the Christian commentators, most would say Koresh, which is Cyrus. But when I examine the biblical indicators, those helps we find from the text itself, what the Bible hints to, I do not find it speaking to either of these two men. Did God use Avraham and Cyrus in mighty ways? Yes, he did. But why bring them into this chapter? Where is the scriptural hints, the, the message from the text itself that Abraham or Cyrus is mentioned? Let's look closely at what the text says concerning this one. He writes, verse 2, who goes up from the east? Now, this word for going up can mean to stir things up. And that fits because we've already said a change is coming. The rabbinical commentators, they see this as a word to wake up meaning there's someone who is going to stir things up, that he's going to wake up the world and cause them to see things very differently. Meaning their impressions, expectations, their vantage point, it's going to come under scrutiny. And that scrutiny is going to show that what the nations thought, what the people believed, how they lived, how they responded, they're going to wake up to a day of judgment and a new reality. But in verse 2, it simply says, who is the one that goes up from the east? And then we have the term tzedek, which is righteousness. Now, it's not tzedek, a righteous one, but the concept is righteousness. Now, I believe that this is highly significant in helping us to understand the time frame. This word, in my opinion, gives the reader an indicator that we're talking about righteousness being established. This change that is coming is the establishment of the kingdom of God. And that should bring into our mind not Avraham, not Cyrus, but Messiah. So we read here about righteousness, and it says... He will call to him to his feet. Now, here it's talking about one. I believe it's a reference to Yeshua. 
that God is going to proclaim and that everything is going to be brought to his feet. Now, in this scripture, we have the term feet and a footstool, and it all speaks about nations, people being dominated, being ruled over. And this is the context here. So it's when you're familiar with how words are used that it's easier. We see what Isaiah is saying here, that, that this one has called him. And why has he called him? This is God the Father calling God the Son. Why has he called him? For the purpose of righteousness, to bring things under his feet. And notice what it is. It tells us what he's bringing under his feet. It says, he will give before him the nations, and, and kings he will rule. It's a unique word for rule, but it means to administer them, to control them. And it says, he will give as dust his sword, meaning this. What his sword is able to accomplish, the corpses are going to be like, like dust. There is going to be a great victory. That enemy is going to be defeated. And the casualties of, of this battle are going to be like the dust of the earth. They are going to be driven, it says, driven as, as stubble or hay, something that's very light by his bow. So it speaks about the bow and the sword weapons, signifying weapons of war. And what we find here is that he's going to be successful, victorious, and the enemies are going to be like the dust of the earth, defeated their corpses, and they are going to be as stubble, meaning they're easily blown away, easily consumed. There is nothing lasting, nothing significant in them. They have no future significance whatsoever. Why? I believe the answer is because God has ruled. How has he done that? Through his son. Why has he done it through his son? Because prophetically, it's the son of God who is going to inherit the kingdom of God and rule over it. Now look at verse 3. We read, He pursued them, and he passed peace. What does that mean, passed peace? Now, many of the English will say, he passed through safely. But this is not what we should conclude from this word, shalom. What it tells us is this, that he pursued them. He passed through. And what was the outcome? Shalom, which is the will of God, the fulfillment of the purposes of God. Secondly, it says, Orach, Orach is a way, and the way in his feet he did not go, did not travel through his feet. Now, this is an odd expression, but again, if you're competent with prophecy, you know something. When one goes, travels, move, and it's not through 
feet, whether it's one's own feet or the, the hooves of horses, what it speaks about is something supernatural. So this is why this phrase, among other indicators, this phrase tells me we're not speaking about Avraham, we're not speaking about Cyrus, we're not speaking about a typical human being, but one who is supernatural, who can pass, travel, move forth, go, and not use his feet. His feet are not on the, the way. So it's this supernatural aspect. Now verse 4. Again, it speaks about his sovereignty, that what he does, he, he completes, and he does so successfully. He completes his, his desires, his objectives. Look at verse 4. Who? It speaks about this same one who, who has acted. Now, it's a word for functioning, doing something. He's done it, and what's the outcome? He who has functioned and has done, he calls the generations from, from be the beginning. Meaning simply, what he has put into order, what he has started, he has completed. There is a fulfillment, and he has called these, these earlier generations from the beginning at the head. He's always in control. He is the one who is the creator the one who is the administrator, the one who's in absolute control. Who is that? Well, in this world, everything has been given by God the Father to his Son. We find in the book of Colossians that it was not God the Father, but God the Son who was the creator of this world. And he says, notice how it ends, I am the Lord, the beginning and the and what's interesting is that the end, whether it's the first and the last, however you translate the word here, was shown for first, the beginning, and the last word, the ends or the latter things, it's in the plural. And why is that? Because in the beginning, there was God. God moved. He created. And what do we know? Many things came from this. And now there was a, a creator. He was at the beginning, but there's going to be many things that he is going to bring to the fulfillment, the conclusion. So it says he's the first and the, the ends. He brings about an end to all things. That's why it's in the plural and it says, Anihu, I am him. Verse 5, the islands, once again, speaking about his absolute reign, his control, his administration encompasses all things, all people. Verse 5, the islands, they saw and they were afraid. The ends of the earth, they trembled. They, they came forth, meaning they drew near, they approached, and they came. Meaning, what we saw earlier, 
God is bringing them, assembling them, they will come. They have no choice. This last part of verse 5 speaks about the inability. One cannot escape this judgment day. And it's going to be a fearful day for those who have not received God's help, that God has not supported them. This will be more understood in a moment. Look at verse 6. Now, the context is this. We're speaking about these faraway places, the nations as well, and primarily in this first part of our study tonight, we're dealing with idolers, those who worship stone, wood, metal, objects. When we deal with the nations, the nations are idol worshipers. Israel at this time was the unique people, a people that approached the one true God through his word, through the prophets, the instructions of God's servants. We haven't spoken to them yet. They have not been mentioned. Israel has not been, been spoken about in this passage. We're dealing with the nations, the idol worshipers, and notice, they're going to come together in unity. Verse 6 says, A man with his neighbor, they will help. So there's coming together unity among these idol worshipers to help one another. It says further on, and to his brother, he will say, be strong, encouraging. Now, what is this saying? It's saying that the world, for the most part, are not going to repent. They are going to double down in their, their idolatry. And they are going to encourage one another to stay firm in this, this type of, of falsehood. Now, why do I say that? Well, because of what's read in the next verse. Look at verse 7. And the, the workman, now this is an a artisan, someone who is skilled worker. It says the skilled worker, he will be strong. And he will strengthen the, the goldsmith. And the one who has a hammer, and the purpose of this hammer is making things smooth. So he hits the avil meaning he's working to put everything into a, a marvelous way. He's doing the craftsmanship and, and putting on those final, final movement with the, the hammer, and it's probably a very small hammer, to put that fine detail to smooth things out and, and fulfill its objective. It says... The one who says to, now some of the Bibles, it's the word devic. If you would ask someone, devic, what's that? They would say it's glue. And the emphasis here is by joining things, holding things together. Some Bibles, I believe, would, would say soldering it by, by making it strong, putting it together. But, but the imagery here is simple. We're talking about idol worshipers, craftsmen who makes idols. And they, they are, are making everything 
according to the detail. They say to the, the glue, that which holds things, join things together, that it is good. And it says that, that he should strengthen it with, with nails so that it will not collapse. Now, obviously, we have a couple different places in the scripture when it speaks about uh, making some type of idol, an object of worship, to fasten it, to fasten it with, with nails or pegs, however your Bible translates the word masmir, in order that it doesn't fall. So man is building it so it does not collapse. What we have here is this, that these pagans, and this is the world, it's a pagan world, a world of idolatry. And judgment is coming, and what are they doing? They're making a wonderful idol, one that, that is done by a skilled craftsman. They're making every detail, setting it up. But notice what he says in verse 8. In verse 8, there's a change. There's a contrast from the nations to Israel. And notice what it says in verse 8. But you, O Israel, in contrast to the islands and the other nations, the other peoples. In verse 8 it says, but you, O Israel, are my servant. My servant, Jacob. Now, again, so significant. I'm not going to go off on this tangent, but... It's so significant that when God is upholding his people and saying, these are my people, he chooses the name Jacob, Yaakov. And one of the reasons for that is that Jacob was one who pursued with all of his ability, being instructed prophetically by his mother doing the things in order that he could carry on the heritage of his father, his father Yitzchak and his father, father Avraham. So we read here, and you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my beloved one. Some Bibles will say, friend, it's a word, Ohev, which is to love. So it's speaking here about God's, God's love for Israel, for Jacob, for the people that he has chosen. And we read that. It says, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, Ohavi. Here, Ohav, my friend, my loved one. So God is speaking about his great love for Israel. Now, many of the scholars point out the difference. It is because Israel was not idolatrous. We find that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they believed in the one God, a God that was creator of the heavens and earth. They did not fall into idolatry. That's the message. Verse 9. Whom? And now we have a, a description of redemption. It says, 
whom, speaking about Israel, the Jewish people, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. Now, this is speaking about, in my opinion, a prophetic promise, one that we see ultimately fulfilled in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31. Now, if we look at many prophets, Isaiah and other places, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many, many of the minor prophets, they speak about what God's going to do in the last days. And what is that? Bring the people back to the land. In Matthew 24, verse 31, we see that Messiah himself is going to send forth his angels to gather up the elect, in this context, Jewish people from all over the world. This is what is being said here in this passage. Look again at verse 9. Whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. And from, and this next word speaks about a, a strong ruler, a nobleman, one who is in control of an area, a ruler. So it says, and from its rulers, the its here is feminine, her rulers, and the her is the earth, because in Hebrew, the term haaretz is feminine. So that's why it speaks of its rulers, the rulers of the world. He says, I have called you from the rulers of the world. I have said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. And he says, I will not, and this last word means, I will not reject, I will not look at you and reject you. Be, be repulsed by you. God is using, in this passage, inspired Isaiah to wrote down this word because it's the same word we see, for example, in the Psalms, where it speaks about how God is going to do something on that day. What day? A joyful day. When he is going to establish that that one who was rejected, and this is how we can translate this word when he says, I will not reject you. Remember the builders, they rejected one, but this one who the builders rejected have become the chief cornerstone. So it's significant that this term is used when he says to, to Israel, I will not reject you. Verse 10, he says, do not fear. Why? Because with you am I. And this speaks about a covenantal benefit. For with you am I. Do not be dismayed because I am your God. I will strengthen you. And notice what he says. I will strengthen you. And it's really in the past. I have done this. Now, one of the reasons why it's in the past is not necessarily speaking about historically, but speaking about that which is all-encompassing. He says, I have strengthened you, and I have helped you, even I have supported you. And notice this last part of verse 10. How has God done these three things? By, by 
strengthening, helping, and supporting. He says, with Yamin Sidki, with my right arm. Now, what, excuse me, with my right hand. And this expression, so says many of the commentators, is referring to the work of Messiah. That he's going to bring about a change among Israel. When he's going to do that, what's the context? The time of the final judgment. When the nations see the time of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, come to an end, a completion. And with that, so says Paul, with that, God turns his attention back to his covenant people. Zerah, Avram, the seed of Abraham in this case. We're talking about the Jewish people who he's going to bring to salvation. That he is going to strengthen, that he is going to help, and that he is going to support with whom? His righteous right hand. Verse 11. Now, in contrast to what he's going to do with Israel, notice what he says concerning the nations. They are going to be ashamed. They are going to be disgraced. Who's this? All the ones who were angry. This means to, to have anger against you. Who's the you? Israel. All those nations who will go up against Israel in the last days. It says they will be as nothing. They will perish. Who's they? Well, all these nations, but it says here, the men who contended against you. And here the word men can mean simply people. All those who contend against Israel. The word here is reeve. It's to have conflict. So in the last days, God is going to judge all those who have conflict with Israel. And what is going to be the, the main Point of conflict, the land of Israel. And we're seeing that more and more in our days. Look now to verse 12. Speaking about these enemies of Israel, these nations that went up to battle, he says, you will seek them, but you won't find them. Why? God's destroyed them. That's the implication. You will seek them, but you will not find them. Who are these? Well, he uses another term. The men of your contention, those who contended against you. You won't find these people anymore. Why? He says it again. Same expression as we see at the end of verse 11. For they will be as nothing as, as zero, and who will be nothing and zero, empty? It says, the people, the men of your war, meaning the ones who war against you, battled against you. Now, what Isaiah is saying is this. Israel is going to be the object of a great contention, a battle, a war in the last days. But it is going to be Messiah himself that comes and, remember the three things he's going to do, he's going to strengthen Israel, 
He's going to help Israel. He's going to support Israel. And in doing this, he's going to bring about the defeat of the enemies of Israel to the extent that they are nothing, that they are Ephes, that they become zero. All those who contended against the people of God and the purposes of God. Let's do one more verse and we'll close. Verse 13. We read that, that this one who's the helper, this one who is the supporter, this one, who has strengthened Israel, it says, for I am the Lord your God. And he says that he is the strengthener, the one who strengthens your right hand. Now, earlier we see that it is Messiah who is that right hand, that righteous right hand. And now we find that God is going to strengthen the right hand of Israel. Why? that Israel's going to be made to be like Messiah. What is that? To be his disciples, to be his servants, to be his followers. So he says, for I am the Lord your God, the one who strengthens your right hand, the one who says unto you, do not fear. Why? Now imagine the context. When this is going to be done, it's not something in the past. It's something in the future. And God says, do not fear. Why? For I have helped you. It's already been promised. Sometimes the past tense is used in a promissory way. That God is promising to do this. Well, we're going to conclude this first part of Isaiah chapter 41 now. And then we'll regather next week when we conclude this chapter where we see the faithfulness of God. The work that he's begun, he's going to bring about. Now, normally we think of this scripture in regard to believers. But we see a paradigm. God is going to bring a change to Israel. He's promised that. Prophetically, he's going to do it. And this should give believers the same confidence. Now, one last point. God's only going to do this for a remnant of Israel. We know that those who do not believe, both of Jew and Gentile, they have no hope. Once you die in unbelief, the Bible says, it's appointed to every man to die once, and after that, the judgment. No second chances. But there is going to be a remnant in those last days, one-third of the house of Israel, that, that God is going to work mightily. He's going to reveal himself, and they're going to receive that gospel message when they look upon Messiah. This 41st chapter, a splendid chapter about God's faithfulness and what his faithfulness brings out for his people. I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, 
loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.